What truly matters is teachers' expertise. The most important tip for new teachers is to set out your boundaries. 44% of jobs will be automated. It reinforces cycles of disadvantage. Hello listeners and lovers of learning and welcome to episode 11 of the Education Research Reading Room, the podcast that brings you into the discussion with inspiring educators and education researchers. I'm Ollie Lovell and it's a pleasure to be your host in the ERRR. It's an exciting day because this is the first episode of the ERRR that was recorded on international soil. For this episode, we went to Taiwan to speak with Professor Sharon Chen about different international approaches to inquiry science teaching at the primary level. And I have to say, myself and the other two Aussie teachers who went along, Amy and Pip, were blown away by the hospitality of Sharon and her colleagues. For the ERRR, this was truly a lovely first foray into recording internationally. Let's hear a little more about Professor Sharon Chen. Sharon received her PhD from the Ohio State University and is now Professor of Education at the National Taiwan Normal University. She also currently serves as convener in the Discipline of Education for the Department of Humanity and Social Science at the Ministry of Science and Technology. Professor Chen actively participates in many academic activity and serves at the editorial board of TSSCI Journal. She receives research funding from the Ministry of Science and Technology every year and has received numerous NSC annual research awards. In recent years, she's also been in charge of policy-related projects funded by the Ministry of Education in Taiwan. Sharon has studied, taught, and written widely in three principal areas of curriculum reform issues, qualitative research methodology, and teacher professional development. In 2009, she received the NTNU Outstanding Teacher Award, and in 2012, the NTNU Distinguished Professorship Award. We discussed two of Sharon's papers in this episode. The first, entitled Implications for Cross-Cultural Comparative Studies of Teaching and Learning, discusses the usual forms that cross-cultural studies take and how some of Sharon's research has differed. We spent the majority of the interview discussing the second of Sharon's papers, which was entitled Inquiry Teaching and Learning, Forms, Approaches and Embedded Views Within and Across Cultures. In this paper, Sharon compared the approaches of three primary classrooms to teaching science by inquiry, contrasting classrooms from Germany, Taiwan and Australia. Reading these papers as well as doing some classroom visits in Taiwan really challenged some of my preconceived ideas about what the word inquiry can mean in science education. And to complement this podcast, I'm currently also working on a blog post about my changing understanding of this complex term. So watch out at ollilovell.com for that one. In other recent exciting news, Cameron Malsher from the Teachers Education Review podcast has just set up EON, the Australian Educators Online Network as a one-stop shop for Aussie educators to find a whole host of Australian-based education podcasts all in one place. Check out aeon.net.au for more info. So without further ado, let's jump straight into episode 11 of the ERRR with Professor Sharon Chen. Sharon Chen, welcome to the Education Research Reading Room. Thank you. It's my great pleasure. <laughs> so, the, the first question we usually ask the guests when they come on the show is, if you meet someone at a, a party mm-hmm. or a dinner or something like that, and they ask you, what is your job or what do you do? Mm-hmm. What is your answer? Oh, I'm a teacher educator and also a, a researcher in education. Fantastic. Could you give us a little bit of a, a background about 
your career history and how you came to be where you are now. Uh, okay. Actually, I got my degree from, PhD degree from Ohio State University. But before that, why I uh, went for my graduate study, that's because I taught at American school in Taipei. Bethany American School is a branch of Morrison Academy. Back then, I real, uh, I, my college major was history, was in history. But when I taught at American school, I taught ESL, quite interesting, <laughs> English as a second language. And I was not trained uh, as an English teacher during my college year. But when I have to teach English as a second language uh, to help uh, with those kids uh, whose mother tongue is not English, so I look through, uh, try to find very good teaching material. I find a very good teaching material really help teachers to conduct the instruction, I mean, very effectively, if the material is good enough. So that's why I realized curriculum development is such an important thing. That's why I, after I taught uh, at Bethany, so I went to the state for further study in curriculum instruction. And afterward, I came back and uh, taught at uh, Jai Teachers College. And that college is preparing teacher, primary teachers. And then I moved to Taipei and started my teaching career here for nearly 20 years, you know. Yeah. But for National Taiwan Normal University, usually pe preparing teachers for the secondary levels. That's quite different, yeah. Cool. Now, the two papers that you nominated for today's discussion both came from, from what I could gather, a study that was called Equal P Prime. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So, what is Equal Prime and what did it hope to achieve? Actually, that's educational quality. That's what we, we call the initial in primary science education then. So, we, we call Equal Prime. Got that's, it. We, we pick up a few words and put it... Uh, quite interesting one. So basically, the prime, that means primary uh, education. What did the project hope to achieve? We tried to look into the classroom and try to understand what's the quality teaching. Is there any characters we can describe? What do we mean by quality teaching? And uh, since it's a cross-national comparative study, so we, we, we think, should there be any, I mean, common features that we can capture from the cla uh, real classrooms across different countries? And, to, and then we are able to describe what a good quality teaching in science classroom. Why we choose science? Probably you will want That's a great question, yeah. <laughs> uh, because in terms of the content of science subject, it's quite universal. Okay, yep. Okay, so... Then we can just purely looking into a universal content, but across different nations, and uh, and we will try to see what's the attributes that make a good teaching, good pedagogical practice in the classroom. Cross national, how many nations were involved? Three: Germany and Australia, and Taiwan. And how how did this project come into being? How did how, what was the genesis for it? Like I 
mentioned a little bit earlier before our chat, <laughs> before the formal interview. Uh, that's starting back to 2007. I went to Berlin for a conference and met Professor Ramsinger. is a very important key person from uh, Germany. And uh, we exchanged some idea about our research project. And he's quite interested in uh, the ones I'm, I'm doing here in Taiwan. And uh, another thing he's interested in the pedagogical practice in Taiwan is that we perform very well on the international <laughs> uh, testing. I mean, uh, so he, he wrote me as, uh, to see if there's a conference going on here in Taiwan. He would like to pay a visit and to meet some scholars here in Taiwan and know our educational system and so forth. And uh, it happened that uh, back then in 2009, I was a director of our uh, research okay, center down on the first floor. So I wrote him back and said, okay, we do have a symposium okay, with Deakin University. And uh, so a group of Deakin teachers will come over so if he's interested, he, he's welcome to join uh, the symposium. So he did uh, come. So back then, Russell uh, also came. And he was very interested in science. So he posed uh, the idea about how about to have a comparative study across three countries in science education. And we were chatting just at the dining table, so we draw our ideas on the napkins. <laughs> Actually, started this with a very informal uh, talk. And I'm not in science, and uh, Russell is a science educator, so Russell is quite interested in this project. I invited another scholar from Taiwan, Professor Xiong, is in science education. I told them if Professor Xiong joined the project, then I would be in because I'm a methodology person. Mm. I'm quite interested in this because uh, I, I like to see is there any cultural attributes <laughs> that will make the pedagogical practice different. So that's the starting uh, part. And later after we talk about that, and we are very serious about the project. So in, back in 2010, Professor Ramsanger hosted a symposium in Berlin, Free University in Berlin. So we all went to Berlin, and we started to construct our research repertoire. Got it. Fantastic. Now, in the first paper you nominated, which was called Implications for Cross-Cultural Comparative Studies of Teaching and Learning, you talked about how most international comparison studies focus on learning achievement or policy. Why do you think that is, that that's the focus of most international studies? We have done a lot of uh, comparative study. Probably Li can join me on this part. Uh, because uh, when we review a lot of comparative study, uh, cross-national, cross-cultural comparative studies, quite often we find lots of people uh, focus on policy, compar comparison between different policy. Then the big idea behind that is policy borrowing. We can always learn from what other people uh, do back in their country is a good practice. For example, we like to know more about uh, the educational practice in Finland <laughs> because they perform very well on certain things. And so uh, that's, but quite often, all the comparisons are based on document analysis, what we can find okay. Uh, okay, on yeah, the yeah, web yeah. or some documents. And so that's why I said, Actually, 
it's so important to look into the actual pedagogical practice that make actually make the differences. So, certain study looking in the classroom, it's of course it's quite um, expensive. <laughs> yeah, you 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 have to visit the the classroom and do the comparison and so forth, and a lot of traveling in between, and also we need to overcome the language barrier in terms of understanding what's going on in the classroom and so forth. It's quite challenging. Great. That's actually a good segue into my, my next question. In this first paper, you talked about the limits of applicability of these kind of studies. And one of the quotes was, uh, acts of cross-cultural comparisons must start from shared understanding of the limits to precision in the application of any construct beyond its authoring culture. So, could you expand upon that? Like, Given that there are these limits, or what are some of these limits to understanding or from uh, gaining things from these kind of studies? And how, how can we f- think about, what should we keep in mind when reading these kind of papers? Not, uh, I mentioned about the language barrier in terms of uh, understanding what's actually going on in the classrooms, in the classroom from different countries. Another one is that a lot of practice framed, okay, by the national policy. For example, here, the curriculum. Okay, we, we do have national curriculum. Probably you don't have that, okay? And we do have the so-called uh, certain topic we have to cover uh, per semester and so forth. And we have unified the test, testing, I mean, a midterm test, final exam and so forth. So the contextual factors actually will influence mm-hmm. uh, the actual practice. So when we understand and we introduce, okay, about the practice in the classroom from different countries, we need to also understand what's the, the influential factors or cultural attributes that influence the practice. For example, we define a good teacher's probably what the characteristics of a good teacher is probably quite different with yours. Mm. Certain things like that. So the social norm and expectations uh, from the parents and so forth. So all these are quite important. And we found this in our studies as well. Great. So, so I guess in terms of that and, and in terms of working internationally, what most surprised you about working with uh, an international team on what was essentially an ethnographic study like this? Very interesting because when we look into uh, the practice of another country's practice and, and it helped us to rethink about our own practice and I start to appreciate a little bit more about our own practices. Mm. That's to my surprise, okay, <laughs> because a lot of compare study, uh, the philosophy behind that, we can always learn from others, yep, right? Yep, yep. Of course, we learn from others, but we, not necessarily we will appreciate our own practice. But from here, because uh, our uh, research partner asked me about why the teacher uh, did that, why the teacher say that, and so forth, and helped me to rethink uh, and try to. Uh, understand our own practice and we look into the classroom from a stranger's eyes mm. from, uh, we look into the familiar right from a stranger's eyes it really helps us to capture something more meaningful and more valuable 
And so, so that's something like quite special <laughs> I'd like to mention. That's great. And that's, I mean, that's a lesson that could be seen at the school level as well, potentially looking, going to other schools, collaborating with other schools, you could come to appreciate yours more. I'm wondering if the other, the researchers from the other countries all came away feeling the same way that you did. Of course, for them, uh, we are quite, uh, the term exotic. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Practice, okay, to the uh, uh, Western world, okay. Uh, even Australia is quite pretty much influenced by the Western Definitely. theories and so forth. So uh, they are, and uh, because we do have national curriculum uh, in uh, in Germany and in Australia, you don't have a national curriculum and so forth. And uh, so, uh, and they found something very interesting. They 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 saw uh, when they look into our visit our uh, classrooms, they say your teacher always like to have concluding remarks mm-hmm. at the end of each class. And those concluding remarks quite often uh, link to the moral aspects wow. and the ethical concerns. I mean, for example, I mean, ec- ecological ethical concerns. I say, oh, yeah, I never realized <laughs> that. <laughs> if they, didn't tell, they, don't, they didn't tell me so. And uh, when, when they say, but why? They always have come. Because for your practice, I mean, uh, or in Germany, always it's open-ended, okay, and uh, lead to wherever the student goes, <laughs> okay. And so here, but uh, uh, for our teacher, we like to pull back and, okay, what's the purpose for learning this and learning that concept and so forth? How can we uh, apply this in our daily life and so forth? Cool. All right. Um, I'm probably thinking that we might move into start having a bit of a chat about the second paper now and kind of inquiry teaching. And that will provide a framework to talk more about contextual factors as well. But I was wondering if at this point anyone had a a question about this first paper at all. Yeah, just share feelings on the note that Sharon just made. The literature on comparative studies, yes, we have seen pretty much policy part uh, rather than the pedagogical or practical part in the classroom. So one example of this is the policy of recruiting native English speaking teachers to come to um, our classrooms to teach. And this does only happen in Taiwan. In Asia, there are many uh, similar policies trying to attract foreigners to come to their countries to help with the language teaching like in Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Malaysia, uh, we are all doing some similar things. But of course, you can look at the policies by comparing the structures, the criteria, and the components of these policies in this certain area. But probably one more interesting thing would be you could probably look into how these foreigners affect uh, local English teachers' practice and identities by looking at literature related to the feelings, perceptions, and interactions between these two kinds of English teachers in this local context. And they'll probably bring a more interesting perspective than the policy one. 
Apologies, listeners, but for a couple of times during this recording, the mics, for whatever reason, got turned off. So I've had to re-record a number of sections of this interview just so it all sits together and makes sense. And we've also taken it um, on some occasions, audio from the other microphone, which is very quiet and, and a bit messy, and boosted the volume and used that. So here goes. So what I what I said to Sharon at this point was, let's move a little bit into the discussion of the papers now. One of the papers that Sharon nominated was Inquiry, Teaching and Learning, Forms, Approaches and Embedded Views Within and Across Cultures. And the question I asked Sharon was as follows. When going into this study, when the word inquiry teaching was said, what model of teaching did you have in mind? Actually, I don't have any uh, one uh, in my mind before I started this. Actually, uh, why I wrote these chapters uh, when I discussed with Russell about our practice, at the very beginning, we started with looking into how the teachers provide different kinds of opportunity to help the students to develop their scientific reasoning capacities, something like that. That's kind of a very important factors. So we look into different classroom, what the opportunities uh, teachers provided for the students to develop their scientific reasoning. That's our starting point. But after we uh, collect data and we look uh, through the videos and we compare different case teach, uh, participant teachers and their cases and so forth, and we, we, we realize inquiry is quite important. It's a, the very essential for science teaching and learning. So, um, but different teachers probably apply different approaches. And for me, and when I look at the German case and the Australia case, they are all good teachers. And Pauline in Taiwan, very good uh, teachers also. But they apply different forms in their classroom to help out with students' learning. So I started to debate with Russell about what do we mean by inquiry, teaching, and learning. And though we come up with, oh, this is a very wonderful paper we can uh, write about different approaches, different forms, okay, to our uh, inquiry, teaching, and learning. But uh, I think the uh, essential question would be, what do we mean by inquiry, teaching, and learning? And we look into the literature. Quite often people are, uh, I mean, uh, just mixed with the idea of a hands-on experience, student-centered uh, teaching, and uh, and so forth discovery, learning, and so forth. All these big terms we've been used for a long time. But when we think through about the inquiry, what do we mean by inquiry? Of course, most literature uh, favorites so-called open inquiry, right? Uh, they, they, they have closed inquiry versus open inquiry and so forth. Um, but I, I try to clarify, because when I look into the practice of our teacher, for example, Pauline. She asks lots of lots of questions, very wonderful questions. But you can see throughout the question, the teacher's guidance up, or the scaffolding, okay, up behind all these questions. And in, our, in Taiwan, our, our pace probably much faster, <laughs> the pace of teaching much faster than the, the one in Australia and in Germany. 
because we have national curriculum, we have to meet <laughs> to finish up uh, certain units uh, per semester. But the teacher's guidance is so important. You, you can see from the uh, learning activity, the laboratory and the hands-on experience in the classroom, pulling design for the students. Also, students are developing their reasoning. And uh, even though they are not that much I mean, expressive talk about uh, um, expression of their idea or thoughts, but they are practicing step-by-step step about how to apply the uh, using the correct language to describe their concepts and apply those concepts into their uh, hands-on, I mean, activity, exercise, and so forth. So I start to rethink about what we mean by inquiry, teaching, and learning. Is there that the model, or actually there are different forms and different approaches toward this? And also, I start to think about, and Russell and I to think, uh, think about the. We we need to think about the teacher's role, and the student's role, and as well as the actual activity they are engaged in the classroom. Then we can think about what we mean by inquiry, because quite often students may talk a lot about their ideas, but they don't have the right vocabulary. To, to deal with the correct concept and so forth, right? But they just think about what they think about it, the phenomenon. But it's not guided toward uh, the, the intended uh, uh, or the intended learning. Not, not, of course, not just only based on the uh, teacher's design, but the good teacher, for example, Bob, okay, the, the, the other case from Australia or even the German's case, in the process, they need to have enough content knowledge and the pedagogical content knowledge to guide the students' I mean, dialogues, the peer dialogues or the activities and also the teacher-students' uh, instructional dialogues. The, there should be I mean, very constructive dialogues going on in the classrooms to help the students to have their reasoning to have their explanation and that you can see the student really understand the concepts and know how to apply those concepts. That's my idea. Another section of the interview where the audio is missing. So at this point, I gave a bit of a summary of the papers roughly as follows. All three scenarios contrasted teaching in Australia, Germany, and Taiwan of a primary school unit on levers in the science classroom. So, in Germany, there was a lot of focus on guiding the refinement of student ideas and communication in many ways through writing. So, they'd get students to uh, make an observation, do some writing, and then to refine that writing and those ideas through, through further drafts. In Australia, there was very little writing, and the teacher, Bob, placed a large emphasis on engagement, active tasks, and there was a quote in the paper, something like, if students aren't engaged, it will be very hard for them to learn. And then in Taiwan, and we were actually lucky enough to have the teacher who was featured in the study in the ERRR, her name is Pauline, Pauline's lessons were highly guided, and she, she talked about highly guided instructional dialogues. Uh, there was an emphasis on decomposing the Chinese characters, which are made up of, of radicals and various components that have each have different meaning, and using that as a way to access the meaning or the ideas therein. 
And also she used embodied demonstrations that were run by the teacher and generally the whole class was a lot more structured and teacher-led. I then turned the mic to Pauline and I asked, Pauline, when you came into the study, what did inquiry mean to you? And she replied that as a child, she was very interested in science and the process of inquiry. And now as a teacher, she tries to ensure that she brings that scientific process to her students. And she does this by means of encouraging their participation in science fairs. She also believes that if one wants to be a science teacher, one should know what scientists do, how they think, and how they do research. She believes that as she likes scientific reasoning herself, she tries to structure her own lessons to promote this in her students. And she said that she would call her process of teaching guided inquiry. Yeah, I like to mention that because we, we were curious about how, he const- uh, how she constructed all this process, learning process. And she said because she, she's an experienced teacher, she knows what the myth students might have. Myth, misconception. Yeah, misconception yeah. students might have. So in her uh, questions, she already designed some questions for, to help the students to think through and to clarify those uh, uh, misconceptions in the process. So doesn't have to waste time for students to raise uh, Lots of questions and this. and I, I something I really appreciate is that of course uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, questions. So she she asks much more questions than Bob. Okay, but very short, but in a very constructive way to guide the student to think through and prepare students to get more challenging and more complex tasks. So moving from simple to more complex ones. So that's, you, you can see she orchestrated all the questions the way through, all the way through to the, the, to the very end, very complex uh, text. Then students will be able to, to reason and understand and also able to demonstrate uh, how to work on those projects. So that's something I'm, I'm really amazed because uh, before the, uh, before that, Russell and, and or Professor Ramsanger, and we have some debates about, do you think that's so-called the inquiry learning approach <laughs> or mm. teaching approach? Mm. So, but, so we have some debates and uh, try to see, actually we need to look at this familiar term from different aspects. What are the very essential parts when we say we are conducting so-called inquiry teaching and learning, and not just open to the students, have students to to inquire on their own, but uh, the, uh, I, because I actually I realized three teachers, three case uh, uh, classrooms, all the teachers ask very good questions to guide students to have further thinking, and uh, so all the stu- uh, they they just different forms. And different challenge and different tasks, but student questioning is very important skills in science classroom. Mm. I'm interested also, Pauline. Um, do you think that what you do in your classroom is fundamentally different, or is you know largely different from what goes on in most classrooms in Taiwan? I think it's very different. I I think. Because I have a lot of experience in 
doing research, science research with students. And I, yeah, in school, but in schools or after yeah. school, yeah, because we have the science affair. So、uh, I have to mentoring them. So I think I really like science and enjoy teaching science. So I think that that's the difference between I and the other teachers, because uh, most. Uh, Uh, most of the teachers in elementary school, they just uh, uh, training by how to be a teacher, but not to tell them to be a scientist or a scientist、oh, okay. teacher. Yeah, got it.、Um, we've got two other Australian teachers here at the moment, Amy and Pip. And Pip's actually been working in Taiwan as a teacher for a little while now. And Pip wanted to ask some questions regarding context, so we might throw it to Pip now. I think it's really interesting what you say about Taiwan and how Taiwan having a national curriculum、um, perhaps means that the lessons and the unit plans have to move quite quickly because there's a lot of content and you can't afford to、um, waste time because there's a lot of material to get through. I'm also interested about. The influence of parents in Taiwan, and there was a comment made in the paper about how sometimes it's difficult to convince parents of the worthiness of some of the different approaches that perhaps Pauline you have tried. So yeah, maybe if you could just talk about a little bit about、um, perhaps some conversations that you've had with parents about some of your methods, or. About how it's difficult to convince maybe other colleagues or parents about some of these different techniques. Well, I think the key point is if the student like the teaching, like to go to the the science class, I think everything is okay. The parents won't argue for the different form of teaching. Yeah, and but you want、uh, want the student like the teaching. You have to really let them build that. They get smart. They can try everything. They and they feel free. Yeah, and、uh, enjoy. They they have the free to, for example, to design the experiment. Yeah, they can choose a factor to do the、uh, experiment. Or they can experience many, many things that I I bring to the class. Yeah, I'm interested to know from personal experience. I know sometimes when your techniques or your method of teaching is quite different to your colleagues, to how the other teachers in your school teach, sometimes that creates a challenge in how. The students perceive you, but also the parents. Has that been difficult? Because maybe the students get very comfortable with maybe having less choice, or being even you know less hands-on and engaged in other classrooms. And then in your classroom, perhaps there's more choice or more hands-on activities. Is that challenging to get them comfortable with your? Methods of teaching. I, I can help a little bit because actually in 
elementary school, uh, primary schools, okay, in Taiwan. Now we have gone through lots of reforms. So、uh, most school, they now they do all the teachers. They do have their PLC, professional、uh, learning communities. So for them, they have a lot of、uh, meetings together and exchange ideas. And sometimes they do communicate with the parents. So it's not like before the more traditional types of、uh, pedagogical practice. But for the middle schools or Now with the, the secondary, probably is still quite rigid because of the the、uh, high stack test. So, but for elementary, I, I don't think that's a big province. You... Our school is very、uh, not very.、Uh, it's uh, each grade have four class. So uh, all the uh, all this grade I. Uh, I'm the only one teacher to teach science, and even though that I have to work uh, to uh, collaborate with my、um, college, yeah, we we will talk about and we will do the same thing before the class. We will talk, discuss, and prepare the same same thing to, and we will、uh, at the beginning. Uh, in the s-、uh, semester, we will tell the parents that every、uh, assessment or every、uh, pedagogic will the same, so they they feel okay. Yeah, yeah. I had a question. It's a it's a shorter one. I'm just interested in the exams that you have. Did you say that they have exams every year or just at the end of high school? And what what are the exam like? You have a national curriculum which says. These are the things you have to teach each year, each term, and then is it just they're assessed right at the end of school? Actually, for a different school, they do have the midterm exam and the final exam, but、uh, the report that that's school based, okay. But、uh, they don't have now. Probably moving from、uh, junior high to senior high, there's a nationwide <laughs> examination, but not for the primary levels. Not at the primary levels. I'm curious to ask a little bit about balance between guided and unguidance and less guidance.、Um, I I must admit I came to this paper very much thinking that the way I teach is explicit instruction or direct instruction.、Um, but as I read it, well, first of all, when I read about the German case and they kind of、um, show a picture or, a, or something like that, and then they get students to go away and write and reflect, and I couldn't see that working in my classroom at a year eleven. Year eleven physics level. I thought that's probably students need a bit more guidance than that. Then when we heard about Bob from Australia, I'm、um, getting students to、um, kind of do experiments and go outside and 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 spend quite a lot of time not doing much formal writing and things like that. I, I thought I I can't really see that、uh, that working in my classroom either. But when I came to Pauline's case study, I found myself thinking this is actually pretty much what happens in my classroom, which was quite a shock to me because I never thought of my classroom as Being inquiry, but、um, I actually ask questions in quite a similar way.、Um, I would say and ask quite a few questions, but then they're followed up quite quickly with support or guidance or or kind of kind of answers following some student responses. So I was wondering, what? How do you pick how much time to give the students to、um, answer the questions that you pose?、Um, how do you pick how much to scaffold? 
they're learning and and what prevents you from going more to the kind of open-ended or student-led instruction that we saw from G- the German and, extra- and Australian case studies in the paper? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I, I think uh, maybe this is, uh, depends on the experience. And sometimes I ask a question, I nev- I, maybe I didn't want them to answer me. I just want them to think, yeah, to think a lot of things, think a lot of uh, maybe details, not just uh, uh, so. Uh, and the the time that I uh, arrange, I I I am not sure, but I I will think each class. I will uh, the project uh, the object is uh, what is the object. And I, I maybe this is this is very important. I will make maybe use two hours, uh, two class, to finish it. So and then I will think about that. Uh, what kind uh, active actives, and uh, and uh, what kind question I want to ask them, and I will uh, arrange them then and think about and but. There's uh, a situation because the this this research, uh, uh, Sharon Deb came to uh, take the video, so maybe I uh, I will sh- uh, sh- shorten the I I want them to feel that uh, it's boring to wait, so maybe the the pattern is very more fast than. Uh, and then when I really teach in in, in my class, yeah. Mm, interesting. This is kind of one for, for Sharon, and this is also related to this balance of inquiry or guidance or less guidance. Um, what, what would have had to happen in Pauline's classroom or in any of the classrooms for you to have said, okay, I don't think this can be included in the study because I don't think this actually is inquiry learning? Or inquiry-based instruction. Actually, we don't make the judgment. Okay, we just respect all the participant teachers the way they conduct their teachings. But why? Oh, in Taiwan, we have five teachers. They are all uh, by, through invitations. Okay, because they all go back to uh, the teachers' college for their professional development. So Professor Xiong just invite who are interested in participate in this study. So it's through invitations because why? Uh, and also uh, it's recommended because they on their voluntary basis they decide to come back to school to for their professional growth. That's a very important. Um, I mean, features for being a good teacher. <laughs> okay, you are self motivated and so forth. So. Uh, all the five participant teacher they are teaching different uh, units, and the one we pick up uh, polling for this case is because uh, there's the uh, same units liver, so three country can can compare, but uh, other one, uh, teachers are teaching different sub uh, topics, so not w- within this uh, uh, analysis. So so uh, for us uh, we don't uh, have our any. We we call that uh, any I mean principle showing to them what you need to do in in terms of uh, helping our 
research. No, we just just you do whatever you plan to do. <laughs> okay, so it's in a natural settings. So, uh, but they are all good teachers, and、uh, so we can always learn from their practice.、Uh, of course,、uh, Pauline is、uh, there are、uh, two, three teachers are more experienced. To probably only、uh, have taught for about five years, around five years, or new teachers, so we we、uh, we can still uh, tell uh, about their philosophies, but how much they rely on teachers'、uh, manuals, the I mean, or the suggestion from the PLC、uh, in their schools. So、uh, so we can see、uh, the differences, okay,、uh, between the Um, less experienced teacher and more experienced teachers. So、uh, that's we have discussed、uh, through our project because each、uh, researchers pick up different topics for analysis. So、uh, from this case, because we just、uh, it's an emerging thing. Oh, the latest, yeah. For our writings, okay, because we don't predetermine what we want to explore. Oh, inquiry.、Uh, yeah. Oh, really. Yeah, yeah, it's an emerging thing. Yeah. Oh, so you just kind of, you just went and said we're going to look at teaching. Yeah, quality teachings, and but this just coming out. And it was like inquiry. How did how did that come out? How, what what was it about what you observed in the classrooms across the different nations that made you think inquiry is what what we're going to look at here? Yeah, because actually,、uh, for example, uh, uh, Russell have another paper、uh, talking about representations, right? And uh, but uh, also about the、uh, um, we we also discuss about the issue about argumentations in science classrooms or、uh, reasoning in science classroom and so forth. But、uh, probably till the second year, and we realize inquiry is such an important things, and we, it's an important.、Um, it it's happened in different classroom in, and in different forms and different approaches toward it. And so we decided、uh, we we probably need to write something about English teaching and learning in science classroom because it's such an important、uh, topic.、Uh, not using scientific reasoning <laughs> this term, but using the inquiry because through because all these teachers through their guided、uh, teachings, okay,、uh, more structured or less structured, but they you they always、uh, link to the. Daily life experience and the phenomena around them, and helping the、uh, accident the, the student to observe and to explain and to give、uh, some reasons and about why this happened like this ways, and how to apply all these ideas. So we 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 come up how to put all these together. But a lot of literature talking about the inquiry. But、uh, I'm thinking. When you talk about inquiry, what do you mean by inquiry? It doesn't mean inquiry is just following certain researchers' definition only, right? But we we need to look at this differently and from different aspect to understand it better in terms of looking into the teacher's role, students' role, and also the activity they are engaged in and what's happening in the process. So. That's why we construct our paper. We we write about the the sequence of the teachings, right? We show <laughs> the table of the sequence, and、uh, and then we explain and we use some、um, we pick up some 
episode and uh, episode to to demonstrate how they approach this approach are so different. The one why we, we we just want to show the differences between teachers, but but among the differences, we can see some common shared values of these teachers in their teachings. So the the quality in within this uh, we. Uh, uh, the what they applied in their teachings. So, so there are differences, but there are some uh, similar things in their instruction. They are so different, but some some similar. For example, uh, um, questioning and uh, uh, timely guidance <laughs> when the student need and so forth. So, so we cannot say, oh, if it's more structured, it's not inquiry based. <laughs> That's something I want to argue throughout this paper. Some people would say that, but for me, I said, no, we, we not to differentiate so-called the inquiry and not inquiry based by the structure or by uh, more teacher guided. So because in some other paper, they would say, if it's more guided, probably it's not inquiry based. So that's my argument throughout this paper is that we, we, we cannot just simply, I mean, like uh, too extreme. <laughs> Yes or no, that kind of extreme. It's a spectrum in terms of how much uh, the uh, scaffolding that's through the teacher's uh, guidance. It, because uh, one thing is that the scaffolding, the concept of scaffolding is quite important for inquiry, to develop students' capacity in inquiry. Uh, um, and... It's because in Pauline's case, we can hardly see Pauline told the students the answer, no. She never told the answers, but she's guiding through the questioning. And the student will come up with the answer, though the answer is short, it's not expanded answer, but throughout the guidance and the student will come up the answer. Because... Uh, Traditionally, we say that if the teachers lecture, just telling the facts and have, having the students to memorizing all these facts, right? And the principles and so forth. But in her teaching, she never told the answers or the principles, but guiding them to think about it. There, there's quite a lot of debate at the moment about the actual efficacy and effectiveness of inquiry-based instruction. There's, you know, there's, there's uh, meta-analyses like that the one that you referenced by um, Furtak, I think it was, um, that kind of reports positive, some positive effects. So interestingly in that paper, it talked about how uh, inquiry-based instruction seems more effective uh, the more teacher-led it is. So that's an in interesting kind of distinction to make. Um, but then there's also papers like uh, from Kirshner, Swiller and Clark who talk about um, how minimally guided instruction doesn't work, um, which is maybe, you know, arguing a straw man or something like ba that based upon your, your um, definition of inquiry. But I'm wondering how you, from what I can hear, you're definitely a supporter and a proponent of inquiry-based learning that avoids teachers just telling, telling, um, telling the answers to students. How do we reconcile these kind of two seemingly opposing views one that inquiries effective and better, and one that inquiry doesn't work and it's a waste of time. I think uh, teaching itself is an art. Okay. Uh, for example, for some some 
task. Uh, of course, the hands-on, not all the hands-on are necessary, because some hands-on kind of waste of time. <laughs> the teacher has to make the uh, more appropriate uh, judgment about which is more appropriate you know, for the student to learn certain kind of ideas. Some just uh, you point out something and student learn, but more, uh, some you just need to give them more time to explore. Right. So for me, uh, actually, uh, we we did not really get into the complex idea with Fertech or other I mean people who you know, just uh, proposed to have more degree uh, based uh, teaching and learning because uh, what we try we are trying is just presenting the different approaches to work degree teaching and learning. Um, for example, we uh, the peer dialogues. But because all these teachers are focused a lot on uh, encouraging dialogues right, in the classroom. So peers' dialogues or teacher-student dialogues and so forth. Right? Mm. It's more instructional or more open, okay? uh, more guided or more open. The dialogue is another important um, factor and also questioning skills are more important. But another thing I like to mention that teachers, I mean, content, Pedagogical content knowledge is extremely important because if a teacher doesn't uh, uh, wear trend with the good uh, with uh, sufficient science knowledge, then the teacher won't be able to transform all these into meaningful activities for the student. Yeah. So that's something very important. In Taiwan, especially in Taipei, most science teachers are specialists, not homeroom teachers. They have more uh, science knowledge background, so they don't need to follow the teaching model or teaching kids to go through the step by steps, or they don't need to uh, conduct the lectures and tell But of course, uh, of course, we, we do have some teachers. Is not if they don't have the enough sufficient uh, knowledge backgrounds, then they will rely on the teacher's manual and go step-by-step procedures. Because, uh, for, for example, Pauline, uh, uh, she's an experienced teacher. Uh, she gets involved in lots of science research-based uh, uh, projects, and she's uh, leading a lot of groups of students to do the science fairs. So she knows how to transform all these into meaningful learning activities. I mean, small by small uh, parts of the portion and all the questions and to guide them to understand, to appreciate, and be able to apply. Because uh, at the end, you can see her tasks uh, have accomplished a very complex um, uh, idea about the, how to apply this liver concept to more complex uh, projects or, or understand. And let they like what go look around what uh, what kind of uh, phenomena are applying the the legal concept and so forth. So that's a big difference because for uh, not only to explain and uh, having the student telling the correct answer for me, but having the student are able to use the correct language or, or uh, to describe. And to reason. So, so another thing is quite important. Some people 
important. It's not important just uh, just having the student to explore and uh, having them just share what they think. But if they don't have, uh, I mean, sufficient language or correct language uh, to to think with or concept to think with, how can they learn the science, uh, the, the the scientific? I mean, uh, to make better scientific reason. So there's uh, something to think with. Not just memorizing the, the facts, but you provide something for them and they understand the concept better, then they have something to think with. Then they can do better science, uh, scientific exploration. I'm really interested in uh, the point you make about the terminology being very important and how if the student can't use the terms correctly and link it to the real world experience then perhaps the learning hasn't been as good as it could be is that importance of the terminology articulated in the Taiwanese national curriculum the curriculum uh, has some basic uh, terminologies to to to, uh, to to put that there but it it doesn't. All the uh, textbooks, of course, they they present it differently. But it doesn't mean that teacher has to teach each terminology through definition, uh, telling the definition of the terminology. Of course, we see some teachers. We can find some teachers teaching uh, those terminologies through defining what that is, right? But. I think more important is learning the ter terminology through, uh, think through, <laughs> thinking through the ideal and making the connections with the, uh, the phenomena and the, what they observe and using the vocabulary to describe it. I did use some Chinese characters, right? Just describe. And uh, Pauline just using the Chinese character because uh, the, uh, the parts of the characters already explain a little bit about the idea she wants to communicate with the students, but she did not telling them what do we mean by this and that, but using the character to make the connections, helping them to think about the machine, simple machine. And the character itself shows the complexity of the simple machine, the structure of the simple machine. And making uh, the connection is using the very indigenous and uh, the local uh, idea and concept and helping the student understand better. So not through definition only. That relates also to Pauline's choice of using the seesaw I guess it's, that's something that is, you know, already part of the student's everyday experience and, and, a, and, a, and a place to ground the new concept in their prior knowledge. So that makes... That's uh, at a very simple stage, but uh, later, because uh, she also linked to the machine and the bicycle and uh, other very complex daily tours to understand how this uh, I mean, concept being applied. Yeah, I'm interested in assessments. It sounds like you've done a lot of formative assessments through questioning, through monitoring, and 
what are the assessments you have to understand that students have、uh, developed the scientific skills or competencies? In my class,、uh, I always have about maybe three three kinds assessment. The first is the paper test, but the test I usually use the a group of the question and、uh, have the situation and that them to reasoning and using the theory、uh, or a principle of the mechanism to solve the problem I put and.、Uh, Another kind of assessment is that sometimes I will tell them to,、uh, for example, this year I want to them to produce a toy, and the toy like the Jigo toy, and they have to use the three kinds mechanism, marble and to through, and they have to uh, uh, three stages, and and they have to use a lot of.、Uh, Things maybe like a cup or a paper or a, a stick to produce the the toy, and、uh, during the process they they will feel that maybe they will do a labor in this toy, and they will feel、uh, know that if they put a support point to different place, then the marble will have different kinds result. So they have to use the A principle to finish the toy, and during doing the uh, uh, produce the toy, they can reflect the principle they learn. Yeah, and、uh, another is that maybe they just in the every class they have to to operate something yeah, to finish like、uh, my my、uh, work. That sounds really interesting. So is that kind of like a、uh An actual formalized assessment where the student knows that they're being assessed, and you're watching them manipulate this marble thing, digo or contraption or whatever it is,、um, and then you you ask them to explain to you what's happening. Yeah, and they not only explain to me、uh, to their peers, and we also tell、uh, them、uh, during our. School fair, and they will、uh, explain to all the parents and、uh, the other great students to to share their achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Something it's actually in her class. You can see a lot of performance-based assessments, not just pencil paper test. But、uh, she used some worksheets for a student to write down or to answer the question. That's more on、uh, the paper, but.、Uh, Student has to demonstrate their understanding through designing their own tours. That's fascinating because in in Fertax meta analysis, Fertax actually broke down、um, the、oh, what was it? It was the cognitive dimension of inquiry into four、um, four kind of domains. One was procedural. So knowing how to do stuff. One was epistemic, so understanding how knowledge is generated within science. One was conceptual, like knowing about the actual facts, and one was social. And one of the social elements was about communicating that science. So that sounds like that is a, a big part of your class. And I think it's,、um, I think it's something that could definitely be done better in a lot of 
in a lot of science classes. So that's really, yeah, that's really interesting. So that's why I say through throughout the study, I I learned to uh, be more appreciate about our teachers. <laughs> yeah, teach. that's great. That's great. I'm just interested, as you mentioned, that that element of Pauline's teaching is really performance um, and then I guess that opportunity to show their peers and parents at the school fair is a very important one. Would you say that performance and that um, real demonstration of the learning is quite a strong theme in Taiwanese classrooms? Depends. But uh, I, I think uh, more and more schools are, um, are happy with that uh, alternative uh, ways of uh, assessing students and the different ways of teaching and learning and so forth, uh, particularly in, in Taipei, uh, New Taipei City and in Taipei. And I, I, because now we do have a lot of uh, experimental uh, projects going on, and for example, uh, Nicole is from experimental school. <laughs> so uh, it's no more the same, I mean, comparing to the old days. <laughs> okay. And uh, we, we do encourage the, the competence-based learning and teaching and so forth. Um, I have a question about kind of vernacular in education. I was really interested to hear you talk about how you're, you weren't aiming to give a definition to inquiry and say, it's this or it's that, um, and that you actually kind of came to it through looking at the classrooms. Are there any other terminology or terms in education that you think people are much too inclined to say it's either this or it's either that and that's actually unhelpful? Like when I think about it, I think maybe differentiation is another term where people say it's either this or that and then actually being too simplistic is really unhelpful um, and do you have any advice for teachers about how to pick those kind of concepts that maybe we're thinking about too simplistically? Very good question. <laughs> Actually, a lot of turns. That, that's why I, I, when I present this paper the other days in, uh, at the conference in Dublin, I, I like to uh, use rethinking the familiar. What do you mean by that? Okay, for example, differentiated instruction is differentiated instruction uh, different from collaborative learning. Actually, totally different, right? So, uh, but here in Taiwan, some people like to, uh, I mean, advocate certain kind of movements, okay? They will say, oh, this is so-and-so, and that's uh, actually, that's the best way to um, Imply, uh, to practice uh, differential instruction is through collaborative learn, uh, co collaborative teaching and learning. Uh, but I, I think it's different because there are so many different ways of uh, conducting differential instructions. You can do it in a whole group, a whole class, and individualize, and uh, or the small group, and so forth. But the the uh, strategies and the materials are different. And so that's a whole set of uh, thinking about the teaching and learning from uh, how we uh, meet the needs of the students, learning needs of the students. And before that, you, you should know where the students are. 
and uh, about their abilities and their interests and so forth. Then, then you can apply what kind of differentiated uh, strategies for meeting the students' needs and to the end to assessment as well. So I think rethinking the formula is quite important. I'd like to cite another example. When we talk a lot about curriculum and uh, instruction, but what do we mean by curriculum? Curriculum is a product, a school syllabus or textbook, or the school um, curriculum plan or so forth. Or curriculum is a process. What has been going on in the, uh, in the classroom activities uh, and so forth. Or between, uh, in the, it's happened in the dialogues, <laughs> okay, classroom dialogues. Or curriculum is a practice and so forth. So you, t different teachers understanding about certain concepts then we need to dig into the taken-for-granted notions about certain type of mm, ideas or concepts or terminologies and try to see how this can be applied in different settings, different uh, contexts, and so forth. So, uh, for example, why I'm thinking the uh, this study is so helpful to me and so helpful to the whole research group uh, as well as to the participant teacher is that it's challenging our taken for granted notion of pedagogy. And so we can see from different, uh, from the practice from different uh, culture background. And uh, so we, wow, that's actually have different um, essence <laughs> behind that that time, kind of practice. So, we 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 for, uh, then we can think. Oh, how can we transform it into our own context? Not just borrow it <laughs> and transplant the idea, but transform the practice. That's more important. For example, like constructive approach, like constructive. Uh, Constructism in education is not a way, the uh, most, uh, I say, the most important approaches or so forth. But I, I think we can apply that concept in different ways. So, different ways of knowing teaching and learning are so important. So, so. To answer your question, so I said, probably we can starting with rethinking the familiar. And what do we mean by that? <laughs> How we uh, practice it in our own classroom. That will help. That will help us to capture the meaning better. Cool. We might move into some kind of closing questions. I was just wondering... Um how did engaging in this study, you've kind of touched on it, but if you could just kind of sum up, how did engaging in this study change your understanding of what good teaching is in a global context? What I learned is that um, we need to be um, more humble, <laughs> being a researcher. Yeah. And to learn from the practitioners, 
and to understand how they are situated. Uh, because uh, each uh, teachers are situated in different contexts, in different schools with different expectations and value systems and so forth. So uh, I learned not to be judgmental. <laughs> Too judgmental. This is a book practice that is not okay. Uh, I, I think we need to be more humble about why they to understand more why they are doing something like in this way, and to, I mean, that's something I'm, uh, I learned. And also, but for example, like a Pauline's case or other case, we cannot use the case we we have and we analyze to re, uh, to. Um, to use it and to make it as uh, speaking for this culture, or uh, this case can speak and represent uh, this culture or that <laughs> nation. So it's quite dangerous because uh, they are so unique in their own way. <laughs> Each teacher is so unique in their own. So, so I, I think we need to. Uh, for conducting educational research, especially comparative studies, uh, like in my paper, I, I said actually, uh, we always are confronting the, the issue of representativeness. <laughs> so we cannot just using one single case to represent the whole nation is doing the, the, the teaching and instructing in this way and so forth. So uh, stereotyping <laughs> is so dangerous. <laughs> uh, so. I think we can always find good teachers when we try to talk to them and we, we, uh, we can always see the teachers uh, exercising their own professional autonomy within their own context, more or less, right? More or less. Of course, then we need to encourage the teachers to exercise their professional autonomy in their practice. Then we can... Uh, create more innovative way of helping students to learn. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, actually, I, I, I like to mention that I, I always enjoy, I mean, con uh, having, I, I like the term collaborative inquiry. <laughs> I mean, collaborate action inquiry with the teachers and uh, then can help us uh, to, to learn the the practice more because right now uh, Shen Yi and I are working with uh, history teachers high school history teachers we just had uh, some uh, conversation with them the other days oh, I learned so much that's exciting things I say if being a researcher we think uh, we can help the practitioners to solve their problems no that's wrong <laughs> we can only uh, talk to them and uh, try to uh, come up with, uh, to make things more problematic, right? Not to take it for granted. And we can explore together and, and figure out some better ways uh, together. That's, uh, that's something very interesting for being an educational researcher. <laughs> Fantastic. Shan Chen, thank you so much for your time today. You've definitely helped many of us, I'm sure, to rethink the familiar. I know the paper helped me to rethink the familiar in my classroom and maybe think about what inquiry actually really means. Um, and, it's, and thanks to everyone. Thanks, Pauline, for coming along. Yeah, we can definitely come up with our own definitions. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time today and um, hope you
hope you continue your great work. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ERRR podcast with Professor Sharon Chen. As always, you can find show notes with links to all the resources that were mentioned at www.ollilovell.com forward slash podcast. And if you did enjoy this episode, I'd love for you to share it with your friends and colleagues. If you've really been enjoying the ERRR podcast, I'd love for you to consider supporting its production through Patreon. Patreon is a website that enables podcast listeners to make a small financial contribution, even as small as a dollar or the price of coffee per month, to support the ongoing production of that show. On top of the time I spend putting together the ERRR, I've also been paying, out of my own pocket, an audio engineer every episode to try to ensure that the finished product that you receive is of the highest possible quality. If you are an ongoing listener and fan of the ERRR, then please consider making a small monthly contribution to help me cover these costs check out www.patreon.com forward slash E-R-R-R to explore the possibility of supporting the show. Thanks for your time and listening today. Have a wonderful week and until next time, keep learning. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au. 